0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
1: What can we learn from the dying? What is it like to watch someone die? Do they die?
2: Well, uh, I know that right now because we're both dying. <laughs> so, welcome to the 380th edition of Behind the Paranormal. 385th. Which, yeah, that's what it says. No,
1: they said the 380th, sorry.
2: No, 385th, that's okay. what I said. No, 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 the... Can't hear either, All right. No, no, no. Anyway, uh, we're back from our European adventure, only to be faced with my dad asking those questions, and asking if I said 85th or 80th. Alright, so, uh, but before we welcome our guests to answer those, to answer those questions, let's pick up on our last contest question, which I skipped over last week because I couldn't remember it. Uh, We're going back three weeks to the last live show we did before we left for Europe. Uh, The question was, in the movie The Mothman Prophecies, Indrid Cold reads the mind of reporter John Klein and uh, tells him where his father was born. What was the name of
1: the city? Well, the first to get that one right was Shira Krakowski of Canton, Ohio, and the answer was Racine, Wisconsin. Actually, now that I think about it, there is an inaccuracy in that question because I wrote the question. In the film, Indrid Cold says that he doesn't need to read Klein's mind to know the answer. Interesting. Shades of multiversal unity, right? Indeed. So this week's question
2: is, in what U.S. state and county did the so-called Bell Witch uh, incidents occur? Get that right. It went a copy of Transitions, a nurse's education about life and death by tonight's guest. Um, We do welcome callers this evening, so the numbers are locally or from Canada, 401-766-1240. Again, that's 401-766-1240.
1: And from anywhere in the U.S., the number is 401... Oh, no, 800. I'm sorry. That's the number 800-449-1240. Yep, there we go. Thank you,
2: You're welcome. It's all good, so take it away.
1: Rebecca Hawkins, who writes under the name Becky Hawkins, who has sat by the bedsides of seriously or terminally ill patients for more than 30 years as an oncology and hospice nurse. Oncology, of course, means referring to cancer and the treatment thereof. Beginning her nursing career at age 19, she chose to start in oncology, uh, in in the oncology unit, I should say, in a large city hospital. She progressed to outpatient oncology, hospice, and eventually became a hospice chaplain. Upon retiring in the 1990s, Becky volunteered to serve hospice patients. She began writing her experiences as one way to help deal with the emotional impact of working with terminally ill patients. Among other things, this resulted in a nationally syndicated column, Beyond Statistics, and her eventual book, Transitions, A Nurse's Education About Life and Death. We'll talk about uh, all Becky's work, but especially her witnessing of near-death experiences and other phenomena associated with the dying and their transition. Becky's website is www.ladyhawkpublishing.com. Ladyhawkpublishing.com, one word. All right. So, Becky Hawkins, welcome to Behind the Paranormal.
3: Thank you so much, guys. It's a real treat to be here with you.
2: Oh, well, it's great to have you. So let's uh, kick this off. And uh, one question that comes to mind right away is, uh, why, at the age of 19, uh, would you choose to start working with terminally ill patients?
3: I um, was just impressed with the idea of getting to be with people who were in that critical time and trying to be present to them and uh, helping them through that time. Um, When I first started uh, working right out of nursing school in oncology, we had um, everything from people just being diagnosed to people in with treatments, people getting uh, maybe antibiotics because their white counts had been too low from the chemo. So there was a variety of things going on. But we also had the people that were hospice patients because hospice 1980 wasn't up and running in um, that area at that time. But those were the patients, yes, that I felt most comfortable with in trying to be with them and the ones I was blessed to be with. And whenever they did open their first hospice, um, I did see um, their first hospice patient. And that's where I really resonated with getting to be with people and meet the cat and the dog and the grandchildren or the spouse. Uh, You know, you get to meet uh, so many of the family members, neighbors, friends, they drag out the wedding pictures, and you hear stories. And that's what blessed me, was getting the whole picture and being a part of the whole process. Okay. I, I kind of thought of myself as like I am, midwife to the other side.
1: Right, yeah, well that's actually the title of the show. Um, when did you start, quote, le- uh, Excuse me. learning from the dying?
3: I think you learn right off the bat. But I don't think I fully grasped it, you know, really, really uh, got it until many years later and as I was writing and writing and writing um, and then started putting this book together last year. And I would go, come across my journaling and these uh, columns that I had written for this newspaper and I would think, oh, my gosh, what a wonderful lesson this person gave me and I was so young at the time. I don't know if I fully could, could get it. You know, until later. Now, you know, I'm in my 60s now. So now it means even more to me to go back and pick up where I had written about what someone was trying to teach me and educate me about.
1: Okay. What was the first, what we might call, paranormal experience you had with someone who was dying?
3: That was when I was taking care of a hospice patient who was uh, a precious little Pentecostal minister. And he was dying from the effects of radiation and chemo that he had received many years before. Okay, so, you know, this is 1980s and way before, in the 70s, early 70s. So you can imagine how rough that was, the chemo then, the radiation then. So his heart and lungs were failing. And I went in to see him and visit him uh, with his wife and tried to explain to them all about hospice. And she was frightened of it. But he was ready to hear. He was not afraid to die. So he and I formed a bond. Well, yes, I got the call one day from the wife. I think he's passing. Can you hurry? Can you get here? I tried to reassure her and comfort her and told her to go get the neighbor, to sit with her until I arrived, and that I would be there as soon as I could and try to remember what I had shared with her. When I arrived, the neighbor ran home, and she ran back into the kitchen, Um, the wife and this precious sweet patient of mine was sitting there in the living room just as blue as it could be because he was not getting good air and he was in his recliner and he said Becky can you get me to my bed and I said yes I picked him up I carried him to his bed and set him straight up and I sat behind him I straddled him and I had my fingertips on his shoulder
1: so uh, could you speak up just a little bit you're yes. kind of fading okay
3: I'm sorry and I tapped he tapped my fingertips and he said Becky can you see them and I said no I said tell me what you're seeing and he said Becky the room is full now of angels and I must go and he was looking all around the ceiling you know and trying to it was as if he was trying to uh, take it all in and then he immediately said oh I have to go and he ca- called out to his wife and he said Annie I have to go I love you and he raised up his right arm and was reaching towards the ceiling and he said oh my lord and then he fell back against me and he was gone people you know tried to tell me that he um, <clears throat> wasn't getting enough oxygen and I said you know this man this man was not receiving any kind of pain medicine or anything and clearly clearly he was telling me what he was seeing, and, and I believe it.
2: Okay. Well, that's very, um, well, that's, that's really interesting, but can uh, you give some other examples of experiences you've had with uh, people dying?
3: Well, uh, yes. Um, there are people that have, have told me about pre-death v- uh, visions. Yes, I've been with, you know, several people, as you can imagine, over 30 years. And one particular person that I was with, was talking to me um, one day, and he said, you know, my mother has been coming to visit me. And I said, your mother? I said, my gosh, you're in your 80s. How old is your mother? And he said, Becky, my mother's been gone for 10 years. He said, this woman is coming to me and sitting over there in the corner, and she's been talking to me. And I said, well, what is she saying? He said, well, she's telling me that she's going to assist me in my passing She is coming to be with me as I'm going to cross over. And he said, what do you think of that? And I said, well, I think she's probably uh, decided to give you that escort. I said, just listen to her and be with her. And and then when that time comes, I think it will be good. And he said, yes, yes, I think you're right. The next day I went to check on him, and he was gone. There are just so many um, of these patients that will tell you uh, some of them, as they're passing, you know, they will they will start talking to you about. Oh my! Do you see that? Do you see see that light? Do you hear that music? Can you? There's there's my family right there. Do you see them? They're right they're right out that window right there, and they will you know tell you what they're seeing and feeling, or what you know the fragrances that they're smelling, the music they're hearing, or They'll just be overwhelmed with this feeling of love. And they will tell you, oh my, oh my, it's just so beautiful. It's just so bright. And, and then they're gone.
1: Yeah. Dr. Michael Persinger has uh, been on the show, and he has uh, been able to simulate these things in a laboratory by means of electrodes. But much to our surprise, he admitted... That that, as, as, and agreed with us that that does not mean it's not real. All right. You know, and, uh, <clears throat> if I might share and get your thoughts on a couple of my own experiences with the dying when I worked, uh, Of cause this goes back to the 70s, uh, when I was a student for the priesthood and, uh, doing, and also a, a graduate student in psychology working in psychiatric hospitals, which at the time, had more inpatients than they do today and had a number of uh, elderly people who also had uh, physical maladies as well as the, the psychiatric problems, or at least the perceived psychiatric problems. There was one <clears throat> at Ogdenburg State Hospital in New York State when I was in the seminary there, and I've, I've mentioned this on the air several times and people were quite taken by it, that Uh, We had an Irish fellow of Irish descent who was paralyzed from the neck down and was naturally in bed, was uh, probably on his last day in this realm, and uh, was surrounded by uh, uh, certainly me. And uh, there was a a priest and uh, several doctors, or I should say one doctor and several nurses. And he all of a sudden sat up in bed, which he couldn't physically do, had the most magnificently beautiful look on his face and said, Abba, Ba, which is Hebrew for, it's a very intimate form of father. Abba is daddy is coming. And then he dropped back and he was gone. Uh, And we all just (laughs) looked at each other. And there was a beautiful feeling in the room uh, of warmth. And, uh, again, I mean, he he physically could not have risen like that, Um, just physically, never mind the rest of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, There were, there was another occasion at at that hospital, the same year, as a matter of fact, when I was simply walking down the hall into the room of a patient. No one else was in there. And I swear, and and I'm not the sort of person who imagines things, but 42 years in the paranormal, it's, you know, work, it's, it's kind of, you see, it's just about everything at least once, but there was a, it looked like a mist okay. over this man's bed, and there was a hand pulling back into this mist. Yeah. And I just caught sight of him for a second. Maybe I imagined, I don't know, but he had just passed as I walked in, um, and then everybody came running, but it was just at that very moment. Uh, there was another occasion, uh, this is at Norwich State Hospital in Connecticut, in which it was in the summer, I was doing some work there, there was a, a man uh, i don 't know I should say a woman who was uh, lying there and and she was in the process of of passing and th- everything on the shelves around the room and the table started to shake, and that one of the things you look for, of course, uh, to see whether something is paranormal is you know is something occurring beyond the reach of the person who may be causing it or with whom it is associated or something like that that was really strange. So I mean, what, what, what say you? Have you experienced things like that, or, or what, uh, is this normal for the? Or what? This
3: is very, this is not uncommon, and um, I you know I totally believe you. I, you're not making that up. You're not.
1: No, no, I'll never know, forget. When it.
3: someone when someone sits up that's been paralyzed and um, is speaking, what a gift for you to be witnessing.
1: that. Absolutely.
3: And to be experiencing that, and don't ever let anybody try to tell you any different. You know, you can just say, well, thank you. and then, But you know in your heart that what you saw was real, just like those other experiences. And that's a true, true gift. You're a very special soul to be able to see that. Because, you know, people like me, I'm, I'm with it all the time. And I have never seen anything, uh, you know, like, a, like seeing their form rise or the mist or anything. Um, I don't know. You know, if there's something wrong with me. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, what? it's
1: just that I, I I don't think it's that common, but you have seen the uh, the near death experiences and the the oh,
3: the, yes, the, yes, the pre. Yes, these people will tell you there was a lady that had been in a coma for a long time, and uh, the doctor said, okay, her organs are failing. You know, we need to get the family in here. The family's around the bed, and she has barely uh you know, you can barely feel a pulse and all of a sudden this woman who's been in coma for quite a while, just like your patient, sits straight up in bed and reaches towards the end of the bed and calls out her daughter's name that had passed as a young child at about eight or ten years old. And then laid back down and was gone. Mhm. And so, you know, that just doesn't happen, you know, by accident. You know, people that have been in a coma a long time don't normally sit straight up and reach towards the end of the bed. I um, I so that whole family was just so blessed and, and just so astounded because she, they knew what was happening because they knew this was their family member she was reaching out to and calling to. Mm-hmm. And um, for them to get to witness that, too, that was huge. Um, my brother had a near-death experience. experience. Just months before he died, and um, he was a, a tough welder, worked all over the United States, was not spiritual in any sense, or, you know, religious in any sense, and um, he had lung cancer, and these tumors were wrapped around his aorta and in his lungs and everywhere, oh, and we dear. just haven't got to the, uh, the oncologist yet for the appointment, for that very first appointment, and he was feeling feverish and bad, and he said, "I, you know, I just feel kind of, and I said, do you want me to take you to the ER? And he said, no, let me just sit here for a while. Let me see if I do better. And so I went home. I said, call me if you need me. Well, lo and behold, he calls me, and all I hear is gasping. So I said, I'm on my way. I hung up. I called our dad, who was in a different part of the house. I said, get into him and shake him, hold him up. He may have some kind of occlusion going on, you know. Get in there to him, some obstruction, something's going on. Call the ambulance. It took me twenty minutes to get there. I get there. Well, the ambulance is there. My brother is blue. He's breathing, but he's barely breathing. Okay, get him to the hospital. He's in the hospital ten days. Start the radiation. Start the chemo. All this stuff. You know, with radiation, you got to go every day. So we're into now going traveling back to Tulsa every every day for radiation. And a couple of days after that, he taps me on the shoulder while i'm driving you know i about died at the house that night and i looked at him and i said well no kidding i said you were purple when i got there and he said no you don't you're not listening to me i about died i said oh my okay what did you see our mother who had passed in 2002 and had been gone approached him he said you know i was choking 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 and then all of a sudden i'm out of my body And I'm up above, you know, and he doesn't even talk like that at all. Okay, out of his body, he's in this wonderful area where there's lots of light, lots of peace, lots of love. He's not choking anymore. Our mother is approaching him on his left. And on his right is a friend of his who had committed suicide a year before. Interesting. And they're on each side of him. And he he knows what's happening. And he said, please, 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 please. Give me just a little bit more time. And all of a sudden, my mother said to him, "Then breathe, son. Breathe. And he was back in his body. Well, when I was growing up, they used to tell us all kinds of stuff. And one of the things they told us was dying people, I mean, uh, people that commit suicide go to hell. Well, number one, I don't believe in hell anymore. Number two, you can't tell me that anymore because this precious soul who was a good friend of my brother, showed up because of my brother's near-death experience and gave him that knowledge. It meant the world to him because he was able to see him and know that that wasn't true. He didn't have to think about that anymore, ever. And that my mother, who had been gone, and they were uh, so, so close, had come to his side and he knew she was okay and that she was in a good place too. He was able to carry on until he passed later.
1: That's an interesting point about suicides. We were going to bring that up um, because it's an important point, but Ben has a question
0: first.
2: Yeah, uh, this may seem really like an obvious question. It's like a little five-year-old kid asking his parents this, but it kind of really isn't that obvious. Uh, What exactly is dying?
3: Okay, dying is when the person is actively losing um, a, a vital function. You know, when the first organ that's vital to keeping you alive starts to fail. You know, if it's your, a cardiac situation that you've been through, you know, your, your heart is failing and your heart stops. Um, when your lungs have been the uh, number one uh, culprit in the deal from whatever, emphysema, uh, lung cancer, whatever, and you quit breathing or if your liver fails, you know, or your kidneys fail, you know, whatever whatever major organ stops functioning and then all the other organs as well begin to stop. You know, everything starts breaking down and shutting down and quitting because they're not getting what they need from that other vital organ. And the dying process happens, I believe, when all of that begins to shut down and that spirit rises above and sometimes hovers for a while, as I'm sure you've been told before or witnessed yourself, um, as that person is beginning to to leave, you know, the true person, the true essence of who we are is leaving that clay vessel. The dying part is when it's all over. The death is when everything has totally stopped. And your precious spiritual part of you, that part of you, the, the who we are, has started to move forward.
1: Okay, Um, our point of view, I don't know if I should say it's a little different or a lot different or goes farther. most We're voices crying in the wilderness. Most people express it the way you have. And again, you've seen it more than we have. However, um, we have a philosophical problem with Western dualism, with dividing the soul from the body. We don't think that can be done. You are not you without your body, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many people who think in the, I suppose, more Eastern manner. That being said, I wanted to get your reaction to this. Now, in my experience, bodily death has two purposes. One, it shifts our consciousness to a life we are already living in the most easily accessible parallel universe, Okay, a life that is part of our subconscious already. Two, it is God's way or nature's way or what have you of avoiding the most deadly of all conditions for the human mind and soul, boredom. That's why we don't live forever. Or Actually, we do live forever, but not always in the same conscious life.
3: Right. What say you? Well, you know, I don't think that's that different. I think, you know, the bodily part, you know, what I'm talking about is the flesh part. You know, the part that decays, the part that you bury, you know, are premature. Yeah, I,
1: I, I'm with you. I'm with you, yeah.
3: But, yes, the, the you part, the, the part that you, yes, I believe that. I don't think it's that different from what we're saying. Maybe I'm just not saying it, um, you know.
1: Well, see, the point is that, see, again, in, in uh, the multiverse awareness of being aware of all the lives, you know, if, if you accept that. Multiple worlds interpretation of quantum physics and the implications of that for us. You, you always have a body somewhere, somewhere. And it's all, it's all simultaneous and I don't even believe in the death of the body. I don't I, believe it.
3: There, there are, I only believe in the death of the body that I see that dies.
1: I hear, yeah, well, the leaf falls off the tree, but you're the whole tree, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I guess yeah. uh, I, I see what you're saying, and I, I hope you see what I'm saying. Maybe we're just, see, our language, as I always say, is not quite up to actually talking about these things. <laughs> so that's the thing.
3: But I do believe, you know, Anita Morjani's book, uh, Dying to Me, I love that, because she says that when she had her near-death experience, and this girl was dead, And had her near death experience, and um, she said she, you know, people talk about past lives and all this. She said what she saw or experienced that it was all more all happening at the same time.
1: Right. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. And um, you know, I get that. I, you know, I fully uh, believe her in what she was saying. But you know, what amazes me, and you guys have probably come across this too. All these people that I have, you know, that come to me all the time, I want you to tell my story, I want you to tell my story, whether in your death experiences, they don't care if anybody believes them. Right, right. You know, they they love just sharing the story.
1: That's the way I feel.
3: Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno, our Monday Drive Time Edition on WOON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com and New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our guest, Becky Hawkins, in just a moment. Hey,
0: everybody, Lou Mandeville here, and if you like your morning sports with a little bit of an edge, then you'll love my sports reports on the Morning Fun Show with Dave Richards and Joe Callahan. All things old become new again, including my sports reports on the Morning Fun Show, Monday through Friday on your station for local sports, on twelve forty.
1: And we wanted to tell you about Amazon Kindle Fire, now in a 7-inch LCD display, Wi-Fi, 8 gigabytes of memory, download all kinds of publications, millions of applications, um, publications, movies, everything you you can imagine. That's the new thing. I couldn't remember it. That's right. The all-new Kindle Fire. It's got a faster processor, twice the memory, longer battery life. The thin, light, and durable design is perfect for entertainment on the go, so you can enjoy movies, again, TV shows, songs, magazines, books apps, and just about everything else. And Christmas is coming up, so don't forget about that. Christmas time is coming there, so it's time to get your Kindle. Check it out, Amazon.com or at Staples.
2: So, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. We're still here with you live, coming from w o one 1240 AM, with our wonderful guest, Becky Hawkins. And it's definitely been a very interesting show, so let's... Uh just kick right off where we left off, which was philosophical differences. Okay,
1: <laughs> all right. Well, let me. Speaking of differences, Ben, uh, I wanted to ask uh, Becky about about this. Becky, have you noticed a difference? in And this may seem like a stupid question because people who don't come back after near-death experience, how could they tell you about it? But yeah, they do. Anyone who has has talked about it or, or or pre-death visions, this kind of thing, do you notice a difference in people who come back? or or are resuscitated, and uh, between them, what they see, and between those who do not, and maybe maybe have talked about it before. You'll understand what I'm saying.
3: Yes, yes, and I I tell you what the biggest difference is. These people are not afraid of death.
1: Oh, when Uh, they come, oh, sure, yeah, I've seen the same thing, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, they they are, you know, um, I had one lady that I was taking care of that um, she had been resuscitated three times in the hospital in ICU. She was 80-some years old. And every time her heart quits, they would, you know, do the CPR and everything and bring her back. And so when I went to see her as a hospice patient, that was the very first thing she wanted me to understand. Don't you dare try to do any kind of heroic measures on me if my heart quits. I'm in my 80s. I've been to the Heaven's Gate, is what she called it, three times, just entering in. And somebody would shock me and bring me back. And I'm just beginning to experience all that beauty, all that light, all that love, and bam, they bring me back. She said, if you do that to me, I'll haunt you whenever I do. You die.
1: <laughs> I threaten she, my but, kids with that if they get uh, rid of my library. And I then, say, I know just again, how to do it.
2: Then again, I'm glad that I don't subscribe to spiritualism. Nick. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: okay. Well, let, let's let's go a little deeper here, Becky. Becky. Um, we we 've dealt with the the warm and fuzzy so to speak N- not, not to speak cynically about it but yeah. Yeah. there is a statistic, and I have encountered people who might back this up that about one in five people have a negative experience of the near-death experience. And I know I know that you, you don't pass yourself off as an expert in near-death experiences, but an experiencer of those who have experience. I mean, that's kind of what we well, do. Well, I
2: feel like expertise comes from experience.
1: It, it does. That's why you know we say you know, we're not physicists, but our experience of the paranormal seems to indicate that that's the right approach. Anyway, uh, so what I had uh, sort of wanted to ask was... Um, how do I put this? Uh,
3: Did I have any that had a different experience besides the plethora?
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you have you encountered anyone who has had a negative near-death no. experience?
3: No. Never? But okay. No, but look where I am. I'm in the Bible Belt, you know, northeast Oklahoma. And um, I don't know if that just is because most of my patients were, um, you know, most of them, not all of them, but most of them were pretty involved with their churches, they were okay with their faith, they were, you know, so I don't know if that's what made the difference or not, but people ask me that all the time, did you ever have anyone that talked about hell, did you ever tell anyone that talked about and I said, no, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people that don't have negative experiences. Mm -hmm. That's
1: very interesting, because we always say that, that you sort of make your own bed in The multiverse, in other words, where where your consciousness wakes up, or where the subconscious becomes conscious in whatever realm, then you know it it could be heaven or hell, depending on sort of um, the bed you've made, so to speak. You know, Um, one of the things too, uh, there was, um, and and, uh, we're stealing a uh, story here from our good friend George Nuri on Coast to Coast, who happened to uh, pick this up. Uh, He had a guest. Uh, i guess nancy evans bush who was an expert in NDEs, and she was saying that she herself had a very negative experience in the the early 1960s Uh, she said she saw black and white circles that began telepathically communicating to her and this is a new one on me too uh, their message to her was, you don't exist, and you never did exist. Your life was a joke, Earth was a joke, and you uh, were all allowed to believe it was real, but it was never real, and this is just where it is, just this big empty space, unquote. Um, she was very upset by this, naturally, and she was so interested in the experience, on the other hand, that she began to work with an organization that studies NDEs. Now, I've never heard anything quite like this, but I have heard it in other contexts, people being communicated with by alleged spirits or, or, or alleged ghosts and things, uh, discouraging them, telling them negative things, upsetting them, making them angry or frightened. And uh, we find that those are, I suppose, what you might call in the Bible Belt false spirits. Uh, we call them parasites because they feed upon things like this, their life forms like any other. And we encounter them all the time. So whatever these might be, this was one of the stranger... NDE experiences I had heard about. So I might ask you, what is the strangest NDE that you've encountered? Oh, and certainly comment on, on what what I just said too, if you want.
3: Well, um, there again, just like you said, I'm certainly no expert, and there certainly are many that could um, answer much better than I. And I've read, you know, several things about near death experiences. Whenever I was trying to figure out what was going on with what what I was experiencing with these people, Um, and from what I've read, you know, there are people that um, um, have these experiences because, uh, you know, maybe they weren't ready to um, move forward, or maybe there were uh, people that um, have had um, such. Oh, trauma in their lives, the negativity, and drugs, and all of all these other kind of things, and that they're afraid to move forward, and that they are they move more towards uh, the shame and the guilt and the negativity of whatever souls that are that are troubled and you know are on a lower level, but not necessarily what we grew up with in, in the definition of hell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, right, right. I
3: can say to you. I don't have a clue about that. You know, I, you know, honestly, honestly, can say I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, that's that's uh, not something I've experienced or witnessed or anything. But um, I, you know, I'm not someone to say, you know, that um, just because of what I've experienced, that's all there is or seen or you know witnessed with these people. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had one little fellow that was in a psychiatric ward and everybody thought he was crazy. Um, and they asked me to take care of him and because uh, he was getting ready to have surgery the next, the next day and uh, he has lung cancer and he said, you know, what I'm, he was just ranting and raving and carrying on about, you know, I'm going to heaven tomorrow, Saints protect us and just, you know, he was a manic depressive and just running around all over the place and it was hard for me to even keep up with him. And um, he was just, he was just, always exclaiming all kinds of of things like, you know, give all your money to Oral Roberts, give all your money to God, you know, all this stuff. Well, he was in this ward where there were eight beds, and one of his roommates came in, and he was a paranoid schizophrenic. And my patient said to him, hey, where you been, buddy? What are you doing? What's going on? But, you know, he didn't want to hear that. And so he walked over to my patient and just hit him with his fist right between the eyes. So I crawled under the bed. And um, my patient was screaming, "Help! Help!" And they came in. They carried off this guy. And my poor little patient said, "Oh, thank God, the Lord is with us. Give all your money to Oral Roberts." <laughs> well, you know, they're just thinking, "Okay, he's nuts." The next day, he goes for surgery. I went in to pray with him the day before, you know, that morning before. And I went to on back to school. I came back to see him after, and he was gone. He died. Mm-hmm. Surgery. Yeah. And I'm going, you know, maybe people aren't always crazy like we define them whenever they're trying to tell us what they already know. That's it exactly It made, yeah. made me rethink, you know, what you know, what's crazy, what's not crazy.
1: That's just, exactly the experience I had in, in Psych Wards. I I rather quickly, first, I, I never I had a lot of weird things happen. I never had anything quite that exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but, of course, you know, again, you were an apply. I was an occasional visitor for pastoral reasons. But it, it was very early on. Uh, I was an undergraduate still when, when I really began to wonder, you know, are these people really... Crazy? Are they experiencing chemical imbalances, or or, or these sorts of things that that we commonly associate these these, uh, psychoses or alleged psychoses with? Or are they experiencing worlds that really exist?
3: Yeah, some of which are horrible. Another level that we can't even access.
1: Exactly, and that we're only just finding out about, or at least rediscovering. I think our remote ancestors knew about it. Right. So that's a very, very good point. And um, yeah, I ran into exactly the same same sorts of things. There were. um, Many times when I would be dealing with schizophrenics and they would look me in the eye with the most knowing looks, they would describe uh, events from history in the most articulate manner I had ever heard, I had, you know, more, more so than some of my professors would do, yeah. you know, as if they had been there. And uh, you know, all this sort of feeding into my later opinions that, you know, we really are there and parallel lives and all this kind of thing and it's one big reality but uh yes. whether that's true or not it was an amazing amazing experience so uh ben so
0: let's
2: uh move on so becky do you ever think you are receiving messages from people that have passed
3: Yo, just so funny that you should ask that i was just marking here on my paper that i was pre- I had prepared for you guys i went to visit uh um, My husband's uncle's wife, uh, before my trip to Arizona last year, she was dying with brain cancer. And um, as I was visiting her, her family said, don't say anything too spiritual to her. She's not religious. And I said, oh, okay. So I just was hanging out with her and I was telling her that, you know, that her angels would be with her. I whispered it so nobody would hear. I said, your angels are going to be with you. You're going to be okay through this passing. Don't be afraid. Uh, You're going to... You're going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And she looked at me and squeezed my hand. I went on to Sedona, uh, got a call that on my way that, that she had passed. And then after I got there, I went to see this spiritual counselor that I go see every year when I'm out there. So she said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I don't know. Let's talk about my book. And she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's somebody behind me, white curly hair. She's jumping up and down. She's so excited. Tell her, tell her, thank you for helping me cross over. Tell her, thank you. I've made it. I made it. Tell them. Go back and tell all of them. It's okay. I made it. Mm-hmm. And they said, she said, do you know who that is? And I said, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I don't, you know, I don't know. And she goes, no, Becky, this is recent. And it hit me. It was my husband's uncle's wife. And she was the one that was so afraid because she hadn't been religious that she wasn't going to make it.
0: Hmm.
3: And there she came. She saw me and she spoke to me through this woman that has never happened to me before. And to receive that was such a blessing and such a gift. If people believe me, that's great. If they don't believe me, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It was a blessing to me and a
1: gift to me. I, I can see that. Yeah. We're always very, very skeptical about that sort of thing because there's so much false yes. information and so many dangers in that. But when you receive it from someone who has, you've been close to, and you just know it's them, that, then I'd, I'd say that starts to add legitimacy. I was going to ask you about suicides, as, as we mentioned earlier. Yes. Uh, as our longtime listeners know, and it was always very difficult for me to talk about this, I first became interested in the paranormal when I was, I suppose, well, when I witnessed my own father's suicide. And um, that probably was a defining moment in my life, as you can imagine. Later on, when I was studying for the priesthood, I began to wonder about the things we were taught, of course, uh, not in the seminary, but by the nuns early on, God bless them, but that, uh, you know, you did something like that, you went to hell. And I I couldn't reconcile that with the wonderful man that my father was, you know. Particularly, there were medical difficulties that probably led to the act. But uh, in any case, it uh, you know, where is my father? You know, what happened? How does it work? And that was the uh, the origin of my own interest. And later on in the seminary, when I had resources to uh, consult theological experts and things of this kind, who were very reticent to talk about this. And matter of fact, I eventually got myself thrown out about a year before ordination because they didn't like what I was where my what I was researching and where I was going. Anyway, um, all that being said, in your own experience with suicides, uh, it, was, it was very interesting that you mentioned one was mentioned by one of the, the dying patients in uh, his or her vision that there was someone who had committed suicide. I have found with suicides that they, you know, following the you-make-your-own-bed kind of thing, that ones I have encountered have ended up in worlds... Of endless aloneness. It's kind of like be careful what you wish for. And I've always thought of suicide as a the ultimate act of selfishness in this you know in this society anyway. And I've seen them end up in worlds of endless aloneness. On the other hand, my own father, who was a suicide, you know, has been very present to me for all these years. So uh, what say you? What what what's your experience with those who? commit suicide and the kinds of experiences they they have, or even if they're brought back or whatever.
3: Okay, well, see, that was my only experience as far as definitely being um, involved in the storytelling of my brother sharing about okay. his good friend, which my brother wouldn't even mention anything like that, religious or spiritual or anything. Um, so I definitely believed him. And what was so precious to me was him speaking of his friend's appearance to him and being so tender to him and being so helping to him and from what I have read and you know there's a lot out there but what I have read is that uh, yes there are some people that are so despondent and so um, guilty guilt ridden, over committing suicide that, that they're having a hard time releasing that and, and moving, moving forward and moving up where other people there are definitely people that did not see any other way out they could not see the light at the end of the tunnel and there are people that have been mentally confused uh, emotionally uh, distraught that have committed suicide so when people speak to me about this about you know is my is my brother lost is my sister lost is my mother lost i say no 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 i don't believe that i believe that they have crossed over or however you guys want to say it too. Um, and that they are, I think we're in different levels from what I read, and some of us are, are at a level where we need to have no healing and peace. A lot of people that have committed suicide are wounded in their hearts and their spirits for some reason that maybe we don't even know about. Or it could be could be that we know, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental. So I always try to encourage people, don't judge that. You don't know sometimes. You may think you know, but you may not truly know everything that was in the multiple layers of, of all the things that were going on with this person yeah. uh, or uh, their life. I want
1: to so, get your thoughts on this. It's commonly assumed or thought in the medical world, officially at least, that the near-death experience uh, in particular and the, the death experience in general Uh, involves all sorts of neurons firing haphazardly in the brain and producing these images or or, or these, these thoughts or pictures. What say you on that?
3: Well, here's the thing, and I know you know this because you've studied this enough. There are too many incidents. There are too many people that have come forward that are sharing their experiences that are telling us almost exactly the same thing. I can't believe... That If that was all there was to it, that these people would be telling us what they are seeing, smelling, experiencing, returning back to share with us, um, no you know yeah. you know if science wants to believe that okay
1: but, well yeah, well Ben and i we, we tend to tend to agree uh, if well from in the language of science itself, we have the phenomenon you know if you believe in evolution in any. Of the common forms in which it is believed, then everything that has developed within us—every trait, every physical trait, every every psychological trait—has survival value. All our instincts. So, what is the survival value of a near-death experience? How did that develop? Why is it uni- almost universal, cross-cultural, and all this sort of thing? If it has no—if if your body's just dying and that's all there is to it, there must be some survival value, some reason why it was put into us. So that—that that to me lends legitimacy yes. to the entire experience.
3: Yes, yes. Okay. Um, this friend of mine uh, shared with me um, last year, because she knew I was putting this book together, I had been with her while her husband was passing. And she said, oh, by the way, I need to tell you about my death experience when I was a little girl. And so my husband and I went one evening and sat with her and listened to her. And when she was four years old, um, she had polio. And this woman was in her 70s when she told me this. Four years old, she had polio, and she was in a hospital. And, you know, back then, they had long wards, you know, with people um, coming up and down. All these beds lined up with these children with polio. Uh, yeah, I remember those. And she, um, she could not breathe well. She was in horrific pain, um, just feeling really bad. She said her dad was at her side. And she said all of a sudden, she was out of her little body and she was rising above, and she could see the nuns. It was a Catholic hospital. The nuns running back and forth up and down the corridor, and she could see their frantic and their concern. She said, but she was so involved with this this wonderful feeling that she had not known for a very long time of being totally free of pain and feeling all this warmth and love and immense joy that she just just was, rolling around like being bathed in it and felt so good but noticed her dad's concern and the nun's concern and all of a sudden she was back in her low body with all that pain and everything and she tried moments later to convey this to her dad and he said no 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 don't don't speak of that um you were just having a drink and she said she kept it within her until many years later from the very first Near-death experiences, Raymond Moody's first book, all of that started coming out, and she said, oh, my, it is real. That is what happened to me.
1: It's very interesting to look back through, I suppose you might call it, paranormal history and find that these experiences don't just occur with the dying, but also with those in great physical trauma. For example, people who are under torture or a concentration camp. Uh, yes. Inmates would sometimes report this. Uh, have you gotten into that at
0: all?
3: No, I haven't. But I heard an experience of a person in child abuse where their the father had uh, you know tied them up to a fence and was beating them. He did this on a regular basis. I don't know how he, he's even existing, but would beat him and to the point to where he left his body and he would be out of his body in this wonderful safe place while he was uh, going through that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: and then come back. And he said that's what saved him, was that he escaped that for a while. And yeah. he had, you know, oh, oh, the story is horrific. But, um, yes, it does happen to other people as well. You know, there was, we barely, I think, have a clue of what all is going on on many levels.
1: Oh, I agree. Well, the, the motto of the show is everything you know is wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first day of school. Well, no, I certainly I've, and I've heard similar stories as well. So ultimately, Becky, w- what, in your words, and you, you pretty much addressed this, but uh, to sum it up, what do we learn from those who are dying? What, what have you learned and what do we all learn?
3: I think what the dying have taught me is that we need to understand how precious and brief this part of the parallel <laughs> um, is and yeah. to enjoy it and embrace it and to understand that we are here with great purpose um, too many of them come back and tell us that, you know, that we are here to love, that we are here to learn, and that we need to be uh, not so much about um, the physical value of anything around us because you're not taking any of, that, any of that with you. That's not, you know, I had one lady that said that she went out to the funeral home to check out her casket ahead of time, and she said, Becky, there's no luggage racks out there on those.
0: <laughs>
3: she said, you know what? She said, you know, I think what we take with us is what's woven into the DNA of our soul, and that's how we treat each other. So this is what I get from people that share this with me. Understand that you are precious, you're beloved, and that the real part of you travels on, and on whether it's multiple planes, one plane, you know, I don't have a clue about, you know, I'm just not that smart about all that stuff. But what I do understand is enjoy what you're doing here, Honor what you're doing here and understand.
0: And respect each other.
3: Be your authentic self. Don't be afraid to be your authentic self. And don't be afraid when it's time to transition.
1: Very good. Okay. Well, Becky, Ben, do you have any more questions before? Well, actually, I did have one other thing I was
2: kind of curious about. How do um, doctors react when you tell them of your experiences, if you ever have?
3: Yes, I have, because when I was a brand-new oncology nurse, and I had these things happening, you know, I would I would talk to these doctors, and they would just look at me wide-eyed. And, you know, occasionally, one of them would, would, if it was just the two of us, you know, speak just a little bit about, that's very interesting. It was almost like they were afraid to commit to, you know, or ask me more. Yeah, or, that's
1: what that's what I, I used to get. They, they knew it all along, but they wouldn't talk about it to each other because they'd get in trouble.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's
1: what I felt. And it's true. Very good. Well, Becky, tell us about your book, your website, where people can get the book.
3: My book, uh, Lady Hawk Publishing, is my uh, website. Um, You can go there. You can get the paperback and the digital. And you can also get my book, Transitions, A Nurse's Education About Life and Death. It's on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. And on my website, I have blogs. I have um, videos, audios, more stories about uh, what patients have taught me And I would really love for people to You know, just connect with me there
2: Outstanding right, So what are you doing now? What's your next big uh, obstacle?
3: Well, I'm getting ready to go back to Sedona To do a lecture uh, with the New Heaven, New Earth Near Death Experience group out there October 9th And uh, do a book signing I'm writing my next book uh, Because I have so many of these journals From these patients over 30 years and um, you know, I still I'm, um, you know, visiting people uh, at at the bedside, oh, uh, as a volunteer, and I'm also uh, doing some chaplain work as well. Still,
1: very good. Mm, wow. Okay. Well, let us know when the next uh, book comes out. We'll have you back on. It's been a great conversation.
3: Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you.
1: Well, th- well I'm, that's always welcome. nice to hear. Thanks for yes, thank you. Back. Very good. Okay, folks. Becky Hawkins, LadyhawkPublishing dot com. Okay. A lot of people have written in asking how our trip was, uh, Ben and I were in Iceland and in England uh, just uh, got back about a week ago exactly, and we were having uh, or i should say a week ago yesterday yeah and we uh the, the highlights of the trip uh, for the sake of this audience would be certainly a uh, a well we were in sort of a ancestral family castle. Uh, of the Courtney family yeah, to whom fun. we are related and uh, also we visited uh, the high- highlight of the trip was our talk that we gave in eastern England in Suffolk uh, at the Rend- in the Rendlesham Forest vicinity and long time listeners know we have done well over 30 hours of on air time with that case uh, which has been known as Britain's Roswell we were really really happy to meet Larry Warren who was one of the prime witnesses in the 1980 UFO landings and uh, interaction uh, that occurred at that a double NATO base in England. And, uh, I don't know if we have time to get into what happened, but we went uh, Friday evening on of the 21st with a group of people, a group of listeners from Eastern England and with Larry and uh, also the promoter of the event, Gordy Goodger, who was really great to us. And, uh, we had some interesting experiences there, uh, especially Ben. Uh, the next day, I went back. Ben didn't want to go back, but I went back and h- hiked the place. I think we must have walked 10 miles, but we saw all the sites. And there's some information on that um, in some of our, our podcasts from last night. And also on our Facebook page, are a couple of pictures. My, my personal Facebook page, and that kind of reverberates on yours, I guess, if you're, you're in I, I suppose. Yeah, so Paulino and Benny. So check it out. It's an interesting situation. So...
2: All right, so we have some announcements. Um, we had a we had a great time in Iceland and England, and we'd like to thank Larry uh, Larry Warren and Gordy Goodger and all the other folks in uh, Woodbridge, England, for their uh, oh well, that's not the right page uh, for their warm welcome and standing room only audience, although it was a small room for our talk on September twenty second. So for our, our next event, my dad and I will uh, be featured speakers at the All Hallows Eve uh, Psychic Fair. At the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island on Sunday, October 28th. So watch for more info on those events and more at www.behindtheparanormal.com.
1: Okay, and uh, we want to thank our producer, of course, Ben himself, this evening, back thank in you. the seat. Uh, next week, the show will be preempted, I believe, by coverage of the local Autumn Fest event. Is that correct? Oh, oh, we're actually doing a show? No, oh, no, we're not. Oh, yeah, then we're not. Yeah. So, no, we won't be here. I <laughs> coverage of that, All right? Uh, it's a big big deal in northern Rhode Island here, and uh, we will be back live the following week.
2: All right. So, on a regular CBS edition on October 7th, we'll welcome author, UFO hunter, and monster expert, Frank Ficino, for a talk based on his newly revised book, The Braxton County Monster, otherwise known as the Flatwoods
1: Monster. Right. And we'll leave you this evening with a thought from the French philosopher, Albert, Albert Camus. Okay. All right. Uh, you will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you are looking for the meaning of life. I thought that was that was kind of cool. Well,
2: that, that, seems, that definitely yeah. seems appropriate. Yeah. I kind of feel bad asking that question at the end because that doesn't really, really uh, wrap it
1: up well. It, well, <laughs> perhaps not. Well, you're no. always welcome to pick the quotes. Mr. Ben.
2: No, 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 not, not the quote. I meant the questions. Oh, the questions. Usually it's like you end with something. It's like, oh, well, let's end on a positive note. It's like, how do doctors feel about that? Yeah,
1: sounds exactly. sounds like something yeah. I should have
2: asked earlier, exactly. but I didn't think about it till now.
1: So anyway, we are glad to be home, and uh, we do recommend that you check us out in Warwick on the 28th of October, and I think we'll go into hibernation after that for a few months. Because this, uh, the trip to uh, Iceland and England was, was really, really, really busy. You also
2: didn't mention the uh, – stay tuned for news for the Necronomicon Providence, the H.P. Lovecraft convention set for oct- uh, August 23rd through the 25th, 2013 in Providence. And uh, we'll be keeping you updated on that, but we have to go. So thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time.